and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. I release new episodes every second Monday. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts to remain updated. If you want to be in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook, and you can email me directly at pat at soundofthemoment.com. I intend to keep this show free to download and listen to, but if you do feel like supporting me, you could do so via the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash soundmoment. Any kind of donations that you make there go towards helping me produce and host this show and cover all the costs that are incurred doing so. Many thanks to all of you who already do that. This is episode number 29 for the 3rd of December 2018. Bassist Marco Zanini is my guest. He just released his debut album, Brighter Times Ahead. I'll play you the opening track from that now before we get to our conversation. This one is entitled Belastingdienst.
My guest today is bassist Marco Zanini. Uh, Marco, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I always start with the same question, which is I like my guests to introduce themselves a bit and tell people about who you are, what you do, where you come from, yeah. some general stuff. So my name is Marco Zanini, and I'm uh, from Rome, from Italy. Yeah. I play the bass, um, double bass mainly. Mm -hmm. I moved here in Holland, in Amsterdam in 2010. And then I spent here almost seven years. At the end of 2016, I moved out mm -hmm. and I moved back to Rome. And then since then I've been traveling a little bit up and down between Rome and Amsterdam and other places. So I'm in an in-between place right now. But, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you you were one of the kind of super busy people on the scene here, which I suppose is common for bass players. Like when you're a super talented bass player like you are, you suddenly like mm. get, um, <laughs> I mean, I mean that obviously. <laughs> uh, you <laughs> you suddenly get called by everyone and you're involved in, the, in dozens of bands. I mean, it's amusing because we were just talking about like if you'd listened to the show before and obviously you have already been featured on this show because yeah. like there's been about three episodes that feature you as as a sideman. Yes. Um, what has it been like to to move back to Rome and to, at the same time, maintain your connection here? Has yeah. that been easy? Have you been no. able to... No, it's not easy. And it's mainly not easy for the people that I play with mm -hmm. because it's uh, it's difficult to maintain the, the ongoing connection. But then somehow, so far, we managed and we, make it, we made it work. Um, but it has, I mean, yeah, there is always a sacrifice on one of the ends, basically. So because travel costs are higher always, even yeah. for local gigs here. Mm -hmm. So, but then on the other hand, you choose better what you're doing, like as a sideman and as a band leader. Like you know that some gigs you won't really make, yeah, you won't really play. No, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like I've had a, that situation a couple of times where a member of a band has moved away. Like in, in my band, Catria, we had that when the drummer suddenly decided, hey, I'm going to move back to Latvia. Yeah. We had that with Tin Man, with Bobby moving back to Bulgaria. It sort of focuses in the gigs on, okay, we can't do these dumb right. gigs anymore. Yeah. We have to yeah. make sure that we plan it properly and think, make things all fit together in a yeah. logical tour and be here for a couple of weeks and do... Um, more of a project, like a condensed... Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it, it makes sense for the music as well, probably, to do that. It does, yes. I think it's, yeah, it it gives you the opportunity of spending more time together, all together. Like, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's interesting. Anyway, it's not easy, and I'm not sure... That's part of it also. I'm not really sure how long it's going to be sustainable to do this. And mm -hmm. So this feeling is not great at times, like... I don't really know how long I'll be able to keep, for how long I'll be able to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess this is, it's part of a personal growth also. Like how do you change your your life according to what you do and about like your job, how much your job is bringing you somewhere or you choose where you stay and so on. And yeah, it's interesting. It's a, uh, Yeah. But that makes sense. So I, I guess the the fairly obvious question here is, yeah, what what made you decide to go back to Rome? Yeah, because it's, what, I I remember it happening, and I didn't I didn't really get what yeah, the, me neither, the main actually. reason was. No, it's a very it's a very silly reason actually. I I had to move out of my apartment here. Mm -hmm. 
So I was looking for a place, uh, for another place around. Yeah. And then there was an option to go and live uh, in Rome for free for a while. So I okay. thought, why would I stay and pay a rent? Like with that money, I can just travel whenever I need to. <laughs> yeah. um, and I thought it was because I was already thinking of maybe relocating somewhere else in Europe and not really thinking about going back to Rome, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then there was this option. I went and I thought maybe it's good to stay a little bit around and you know check the music scene again. I haven't been there for a while, so yeah. Uh, but then it just it went on for longer than I expected. So I'm still there now. Uh, that's also part of it. Like life changes without you noticing it at, at times. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's been weird for me too. Like I remember exactly, it was almost two years, exactly two years ago, packing the car with my mm -hmm. brother to go back uh, yeah. to, to travel and thinking like, wow, so I am actually doing it. Yeah. You know, I'm actually moving out of here. It's been mm. a bit strange, yeah. And I think about coming back here every now and then, I have to say. It's, yeah. um, it is a thought I have. Just not easy to, to work it out logistically. Uh, also, Amsterdam is becoming less approachable lately in terms of rents and these sort of things. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is an option always. Like, I have friends and a network here, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's easy to live here. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like like I said, you still seem to be featured on every second album that, that oh, comes no, out. Man, <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. Uh, no it's just some, some connections went on. Like, um, and this is actually, it's beautiful, I think. It's really, really nice. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it's very cool because it it's, you expect though certain like bands that are based in a school experience, like people yeah. that get together to form a band maybe in the f last year or two of their studies and they'll probably do their final exams and like present something and, and maybe they'll make their first album together. But then like the, those projects keep going. Yeah, it's, it's quite right. an unusual thing. And it seems like a few of the projects that you're involved with actually have that yeah, quality. Yeah, I mean, during my studies, during the time of my studies, I had several projects, like ma many actually. Most of them ended, like stopped. Uh, but some of them kept going on. Like the band of Vuma is the one that is most striking to me because really it's literally probably the first band I had in the conservatory and it still keeps going. It's probably the most... Um, yeah, strong I have uh, yeah. right now. Like the one that plays the better stages, let's say it like this, mm -hmm. and it's going better. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 it's a lot about the band leader, actually. Like Vuma is really working a lot trying to put, to keep the band together. There is a, an added value to that. I think that very often is not seen because there is a lot of difficulties in keeping people together. But if you manage then you have a result. Like the album we just recorded with the band of Vuma. It's yeah, that's, that's Vuma Levine, the guitar player. For yeah, those yeah, yeah. Are, he's so, been on the show, but maybe some people don't know who we're talking yeah, about, the South yes, African guitar player. I play in his band. Anyway, it's, yeah, just long story short, I think it's, it's an added value to manage to keep people together. That's something I'm witnessing as a sideman, and it's teaching me also a bit. Uh, yeah, and his case is even more extreme because he literally moved continents and is still yes. somehow maintaining. Yes, um, exactly. So um, you sort of started uh, mentioning that you, now that you've moved back to Rome, you were checking out what the scene is like. Can you tell me a bit about what the scene is yeah. in Rome? I don't really know. I don't have much connection to the Italian. Yeah. I have a vague idea of what's happening there, but it's... I think there is a very vibrant scene actually in Italy now. Um, that was part of the reason why I wasn't that scared of moving back. Mm -hmm. um, 
Rome is probably the center of it. Like most of the people live there. It doesn't mean that it's all happening there. Um, there is a lot of um, experimental music happening mm -hmm. uh, alongside, of course, mainstream jazz and uh, things like this. But there are very interesting artists that are trying to make it happen. And what I liked uh, about Rome specifically in this case is that there is no real infrastructure. There, there are some clubs, actually, there is quite a number of them, but... Uh, there is no, in terms of subsidies of these kind of things, Italy doesn't really work as well as Holland. Mm, yeah. um, and so what I've noticed is that the musicians are actually starting from the bottom. Like they actually get together, create collectivities of musicians and mm -hmm. make it happen, find the space to perform. And, and especially there is one um, which is called Agus Collective. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, it's amazing the work they did. And the last concert, the first of the series of this year was uh, Mark Turner with uh, Ethan Iverson playing, oh, yeah. which if, if you think about it, it's amazing because it's just a, it's a bunch of musicians who decided to get together and, you know, and organize gigs for themselves in a space, but yeah. it got better and better. And now mm -hmm. it's one of the places where uh, great musicians want to perform. Um, so these things I've noticed uh, a bit more in Rome than here, where there is, a, as I said, an infrastructure here, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a nice thing, I think, of, the, of Rome. Um, yeah, and there is a good number of young musicians. Well, I'm, I was, maybe I don't know if I'm young anymore, but my age or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, young. right. <laughs> Whatever, like in the end of their 20s, beginning of the 30s, and <clears throat> sorry, that are really really creating something interesting in my opinion mm -hmm. so that's nice when you're surrounded with people I think it's that's part of the um, uh, interest in a scene is when you always have someone that you still didn't play with and you want to play with like yeah. there is a, a person that you think an artist that you think oh I, I really want to connect with this person and I still haven't had the time to do it and actually in Holland was the same and it still is yeah. there's always someone that you want to yeah of course yeah, share music with. Yeah. And that, that is happening also in Rome. Um, yeah. But so is there, like, have you gotten a different perspective now on, like, the way the scene was? Like, I guess when you left Italy to come here, you were in the very early stages yes. of, of, like, playing jazz even probably and, like, being involved. Like, how how has that, your opinion on the the scene there and your idea of it, like and your perspective, I suppose. How has that changed? On, on the one in Rome, yeah. on the Rome, um, and I suppose the one in in Holland. Like now that yeah. you've gone back there, yes. you probably have some. Yes, yes. Um, when I moved out of Rome, I was actually not involved in the jazz scene because I was studying classical. Mm -hmm. I was playing a bunch of um, different uh, gigs, but I wasn't really playing a lot of jazz, honestly. Mm -hmm. So. I know, I remember a little bit going to jam sessions. There were not so many, not that many back then. We are talking about eight years ago, not yeah. that long ago. Like, let's say 10 years ago, the city was super different than now. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, almost every day a jam session going on now in, in the city. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what is lacking, in my opinion, and in that scene in Rome, is uh, an, an impro scene and like okay. an improvised scene. Uh, there is, there are some musicians who try to make it happen. There is one impro night every month, I think, mm -hmm. uh, also run by a collective of people. But yeah, if you compare that to Holland, then you're gonna miss it for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, here it's a big feature of the scene. Yeah. Um, 
so the scene in Rome is definitely changed. It, I'm changed. Like I went back uh, knowing a little more, like feeling a bit more confident in sitting in a jam session and playing yeah. with jazz musicians. So I could uh, get into it a bit more. But I think also the scene changed uh, quite a lot because of music schools, probably mainly like they spread. Yeah. Like when I moved out, so still 10 years ago, there was only a few conservatories that were having a jazz program around Italy. Yeah. And now, basically, I think every conservatory has a jazz program. And that changes it because, of course, there is a, yeah, yeah. you have a, a network that create, is creating, basically. Yeah. Um, in, for what is uh, the scene in Holland, it's more difficult for me to um, grasp it when I come back. And I didn't really see it changing that much in the past two years, I have to say. No, sure. Right. But, uh, but I guess it's like, it's maybe more the perspective that you have on it from yeah. now being an outsider right. versus being... Yeah, I... Hmm, Although I, I suppose you're not really much of an outsider because you're still... No, 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 but it, it, this is a good question, actually. And I've been thinking about it and it did change my feeling uh, towards the scene here. I think I value much more the impro scene now here, which I wasn't... I think it happened with me only at the end of my staying here in Holland, starting to realize that I was actually in a place where that scene is very strong and it's a cultural uh, value, basically, yeah. that you don't really find in other places that easily. And then giving the right value to that happened only at the end of my staying here. So now I miss that a lot. Yeah. Uh, I also realize that... Uh, there are quite a number of things that I don't like of the scene here, of the things that emerge from yeah. the scene here, uh, while before I was much more emerged like, into it and mm -hmm. I was just giving it for granted, like, yeah, this is what it is, and now I think it could be different. There could yeah. be more um, artistic value into some of the acts that I see around. Mm -hmm. But this is, yeah, it's always personal, no? It's always, yeah, of uh, course. Of course. Yeah. Um, no, cool. Um, this is like uh, obviously a big tangent, but um, I'm interested in what what led you to jazz in the first place. Because you just mentioned mm -hmm. like that you started off studying classical music when you were like back in Rome, whatever a decade ago. Yes, you were right. classically trained. You have a master's in jazz yeah. in, in classical double bass playing. I have a bachelor um, degree actually. Bachelor degree, okay. Yeah, but anyway, it's uh, yeah, it's still like formal study of classical yeah. music, and then. You then went on to have a trajectory of studying yeah. for six years to get a master's here, and obviously now you're very involved in, in jazz music. But what was yes. the what was the initial like? Yeah. Uh, so the way it started, it was with jazz, as a matter of fact, but on electric bass. Like I started playing okay. electric bass, and the first teacher I had, um, he put a chart of autumn leaves. I think after a couple of weeks in front of me, and mm -hmm. I didn't even know what jazz was ever. Mm. Like I. And then he started telling me, yes, you should buy this record from Coltrane and that from Jaco Pastorius and so on. And so that's actually how it started. And then a year into that, the head of this music school where I was going, who is a ba double bass player and bass player, he told me, why don't you uh, study uh, at the conservatory? And back then there was only classical studies, as I mentioned. Okay. So... It wasn't really much of a choice for me. I was. I wanted to. I thought, okay, yes, I want to go on with music, and then the natural path is just to study classical. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> it's, uh, of course, also the double bass is a difficult instrument to start with. You know it uh, very yeah, well. Yeah, of course. So it was. It was difficult. I was very happy playing electric bass, uh, doing my fusion shit. But anyway. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so then I kept doing it. And the way it worked back then, uh, the degree for classical studies was seven years. So that's what I did. I finished my studies of seven years of classical uh, double bass. Mm. And I kept studying jazz meanwhile, actually. I wasn't performing it around. I was yeah. studying it a lot, though. Um, but then at the end of this uh, path in the classical studies, I, I knew already that I didn't really want to study music that was already written out completely. That was the main thing. Like I really needed the improvisational, the, the impro part, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and yes, so that connected to the idea of moving out of the country and having an experience outside of Italy. I thought it was it could have been a good idea to to study jazz. Also, yeah, yeah I mean, I never really studied double bass like the the jazz language on double bass. So yeah. I had a huge gap of knowledge and. Um, which I'm not sure I feel that much. I'm, really, I'm pretty sure you're doing okay for yourself. <laughs> a little bit. Um, cool. Uh, so yeah, the um, I suppose we we should maybe talk more in specifics about um, the the record that just came out. Yes, uh, it's called Brighter Times Ahead. Mm -hmm. um, it's your debut album. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, on a more general note, before we talk about the the details of the record like what was the what made you decide okay now I am one of the super busy bass players on the scene and stuff but I want to make my record I want yeah. to make my band yes and I I have something to say now and and what was the like first of all at what point did you realize okay I'm ready to do this and yeah. also why what was the need behind that it's been a very long path actually I've um it's been a long path definitely because uh, I really wanted to make a statement for myself for a long time. I thought that writing music is the best way you have to, or at least releasing some music, whether it's fully improvised or whatever, you have mm -hmm. to make an, an aesthetic choice. And that's going to help you to understand where you stand, in what place you stand. And as you mentioned, I'm, yeah, I was playing with a lot of people, so many different um, types of music and I wasn't really sure because sometimes emotions uh, emerged and I didn't really know if it was because I didn't like the music or the people I was playing with or the show we just played. And mm. and then I, yes, there was more and more a need of doing something of my own, but I, you know, I had to fight a lot with myself because I, and I still am fighting a lot with myself because I'm not sure I have much to say, honestly. And that's, a, I guess, a common component of people who try and write music. Uh, or whatever, creative people, it's like you think, yeah, what I don't have much to say really, or what I have to say is very basic and not very interesting for anyone. So there was a long fight with myself. I'm talking about ears, really. Like I think one of these compositions, the first one of the album, uh, I composed it so, so long ago, like I think three or four years ago. And of course it changed a lot in the throughout the years, mm -hmm. but just to say, and... Yeah, so um, after that, the the actual reason why the album came to life is very basic, and I think that helps. It's a little bit like the moving out of Amsterdam. It's when you uh, have the when you do the master in the conservatory, you are entitled to one day of studio per year. So I had two days in the studio for free, mm -hmm. and I and decided I was gonna leave at the end of October two years ago. And I thought, okay, but before leaving, I want to use these days of studio. Yeah, of course. Basically. 
And that's been the deadline that I think everyone should set up for him or herself. Mm-hmm. Like you set the deadline, you book the studio and then you try it. Of course, for me it was easier because I didn't have to pay for that. And that's <laughs> a basic thing. I thought, I, let me just put together some musicians I like. And then from then on, I think uh, in the, um, we recorded in, I think, October. And from August on, I've been really working on the music knowing that someone would have had to record it and to, um, yeah, to, to, to perform with it. So the other thing was that the musicians I involved weren't really around, like Attila, the drummer, Attila Jarfash, yeah. um, he already moved back to Hungary back then. Yeah. So basically there was no rehearsal time for us mm-hmm. to, before the recording. Uh, I only could work with Laura, Javon, the singer. Yeah. Um, so I also wrote the music or I, Yeah, I put together the music knowing that there was not going to be much time for rehearsals. So I didn't want to have any way so many things written out. And I wanted it to be a bit accessible for the musicians and to let them perform at their, like with freedom, basically. So I'm not sure I still... um, yeah, this is probably the basic of of this album now. It's starting to believe that the music you write doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to be necessarily amazing. It's just a statement of something that you are doing right now. It can change tomorrow. Uh, you will never, maybe I can never perform that music or uh, I will do it forever for all my life or I don't know exactly, but you yeah. don't have to judge on it. You don't have to put any judgment on it. So um, it's been a... And it still is a long path, actually, for me. It's um, difficult in a way, but very, very good. I think it's very good for my growth uh, as a human being, really, actually. I can't remember who it was. I remember somebody telling me once, you're not going to like the first three albums that you make. All right. So (laughs) you might as well make them and get it out of the way. Yes, I have... (laughs) Although, to be fair, I feel like there's a lot to like about this album that you oh, just thanks. missed. Like, uh, I, you. I don't think that uh, that this is something you need to get out of the way. Um, <laughs> can you tell me a bit about the musicians that you chose yeah. to, to record with? Like, you've mentioned a couple of them by name, but yes. um, like who they are and why you decided to work with them. Yes. So the band is a uh, the basic band is a quartet made of a um, voice, and the vocalist is Laura Javon yeah. from Italy. Uh, the drummer is Attila Jarfash from Hungary, mm-hmm. and the pianist is Xavi Torres yeah. from Spain, from Catalonia. Yeah, who's been on the show before, talking yes. about history. Yeah. And then I invited uh, Michael Moore on clarinet on uh, five of the tracks of the album. Yeah. And Michael Moore, well, is uh, one of the people that make the scene, uh, in my opinion, the, the scene in Holland uh, more interesting uh, in terms of... Uh, the freedom he has and the beauty of his tone anyway. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of the heroes of the scene here. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, always a very special guy to yeah. talk to him and play with. Yeah. And so um, I somehow I knew I wanted to make an album with uh, the voice in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is because of Laura, like the connection with her specifically, but also because I needed it. I need the... Somehow I... Yeah, I don't know why, but I really need the voice to be there. I need the... Um, and I didn't know that. Like, you see, this is also one of the things. I wasn't really... I didn't know that I wanted the voice to be in, uh, in music so badly mm-hmm. before. Um, and and then I, Attila is... 
he's been for me he's been my way into improvised music in a way um Okay. He's been, yeah, because he uh, involved me in his trio. Um, yeah. I think it was 2013. I remember knowing Attila, he used to live in The Hague. Um, he was, I knew him as a uh, mainstream jazz drummer. Yeah, he used to be. Yeah. Uh, and and so I remember when he phoned me to, and he said, I'd like to play with you. I, I saw you somewhere. I was like, yeah, amazing. And I thought he was going to involve me in this sort of uh, jazz, yeah. mainstream jazz trio. And instead I found myself playing some improvised music for, I think, the first time really in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, Attila for me is really a... I treasure him in mm -hmm. a way. Like he's really been... Um, also because he, he has a very particular way of involving you in his music and in music in general. So uh, there was no... Uh, other pe person I could think of when I was writing the music, basically. I really wanted yeah. his uh, artistry to be there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with Xavi, uh, we played together in many bands um, and we've played together, so there is a very nice friendship between us. I mean, we are friends and he's an incredible pianist, but I was really interested in uh, featuring Xavi in an environment that was not uh, his usual one, basically. I wanted to... So if you listen to the album, you'll notice that there is no actual solo. Um, yeah. And and that was the thing. Like I thought, how about I feature this guy who's an amazing soloist and pianist, but I don't give him any solo or something <laughs> like this. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's quite cool. Because he's he's obviously recognizable from the music. Like you can yeah. tell it's him, but it's very cool. Like I, I really appreciated the seeing that different side of him somehow. Yes, um, yes. And I think he, well, we spoke about it I think he was also happy about being featured in a different way uh, for once. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and Michael, I already mentioned, for me, I, I studied with him at the conservatory, I did some classes, and he's probably um, the second in terms of time. Well, probably the second is Armen Franje, another teacher of the school, a pianist. Yeah. But uh, so then the third, or anyway, one of the people that really brought me into the idea of how can you get to uh, improvise with the band? How can you mm -hmm. use musical material and get into improvised music with that without it being weird necessarily or feeling uh, uncontrolled or yeah. not having... So, yeah, he. besides that, he's... Uh, he's yeah, his tone is incredible for me. Every time, every single time I heard this clarinet playing, specifically with the clarinet, I have to say for me, it really touched me inside in, in a very powerful way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is more or less why I put together this group of people. Um, some of them never, like Xavi and Attila, I think they never played together mm. uh, before. So it was interesting to, also it was interesting not to rehearse at all about <laughs> before going to the city. It's funny yeah, I, because, yeah. I can't say that you can tell. Like it, it doesn't yeah? sound like you guys That's are, good to know. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it didn't even, I mean, it's, it, it's true. Now that you say it, it's, it's interesting to, with that perspective, to listen to the way the music is composed. Like yeah. you, you mentioned it, it seems like you definitely wrote from a perspective of like, not basically not having excessive um, like appointments and yes. it's 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 relatively open and at the same time there is quite a uh, there does seem to be a vision for the the thing in that sense. Yes. Um, what is it about the sort of the collective improv thing that appeals to you so much? Like it, it, 
because like you say, like Xavi doesn't get a solo. Like most of the mm-hmm. most of what happens is just a band sound rather than an individual yeah. thing. Like, can you speak a bit to that? Yeah. Um, my oh, this is I uh, I struggle in um, I fear I I'm too intellectual sometimes with some things. So because I'm not sure that's exactly the base of the thought, but the idea is there. It goes. Um, I believe in. Um, cooperation uh, between human beings basically in, mm-hmm. uh, and in the idea of collectivity and I think we function at our best as um, as a species uh, when we co- uh, cooperate mm-hmm. and so the idea is to try and uh, recreate that in music as much as possible um, so I'm not entirely sure this is the basic reason but it's for sure one of the reasons I really yeah. think that uh, something amazing happens when there is uh, no one really emerging in music. Something uh, special. The, you give the chance to music to go somewhere unexpected, basically. That's the idea. And I like that. Other people don't. Other people really like to have everything under control and make sure. And I understand because actually a show is um, safer. And, and if you are performing in front of people, it's much uh, easier if you know exactly what's going to happen in a show. But from the mere uh, standpoint of the music, I think it's amazing when you don't know if it's going to be interesting or not. Uh, you just go <laughs> together and you create sounds. And very often, if the people are sensitive enough, I, I think it's usually it works, actually. It's very, yeah, I mean, very often it works. I haven't seen it uh, not working well, that's not true. It also doesn't work sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also part it's, of it, probably. It's quite a risky thing. I mean, the, like you you say that it, it often works. I, like you say, it doesn't always work. It, it's interesting to me because what you just said, like it's true that it's a lot easier to just follow one person's vision, whether yes. it's in the context of an entire album or whether it's in the context of just a moment in music. Yes. Like it's so common that we will have, and now it's the saxophone solo, and yes. suddenly the saxophonists idea and aesthetic is what dictates what's happening in the music. Indeed. And then when that's over, then somebody else's moment happens. Yes. And obviously the, we bridge the gap and we try to create these, like some kind of a uniform idea. Yes. But there is a strange safety net to that, to that right? To be mm-hmm. like, okay, we're going to follow the leader and do what that person yes. says. And if that person has a strong idea, then it's going to work. And if they don't, then maybe the others can try to push them in the right direction. Yes. But in in the case of this music, it's... I mean, obviously, you as the leader of the band come purely with that idea of, hey, we're going to collectively do this. That's already kind of an, an initiative, I suppose. But it's also interesting to me that you would choose to work with a vocalist in that context because we're... So, like, the ear is so trained to assume that the vocals are in front mm-hmm. and that the vocalist is probably the band leader and that the, that's... And in this case, that's that's not true and it doesn't mm. sound like it either okay. somehow. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. <laughs> it's actually one of the feedbacks I had uh, before releasing the album uh, when I was uh, sending it around friends and so on. It was... Uh, it, it it could definitely sound like a, an album of Laura, like an album that Laura could have put together. At the same time, it doesn't. I didn't think of all the... I mean, honestly, the only thing I was concerned was I didn't really want to create an album because the idea was, okay, maybe I should... You know, I have this voice in my head that tells me I, I used to... I still have it sometimes. It says, 
you should do an album where you're really featured as an instrumentalist, where people actually listen how fast you can play or yeah. how in tune or how much you can play with a bow or whatever, you know, all these ideas. Yeah. And, and I was really fighting with that. I didn't want me to go there. Mm -hmm. Although I'm sure it could have been interesting uh, anyway. I could have maybe done some interesting music. I still have time to do it, hopefully, in the future. But sure. at this time, I was really interested in not being featured that much and not to feature anyone specifically. Mm -hmm. um, of course, when you have a vocalist, she's telling you a story and there is no way she won't be featured. She's definitely... Uh, probably the most present. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know, actually. I'm not uh, objective anymore listening to this music, but I kind of think that she can be the um, main character of this album. Yeah, I don't think it's... I don't feel like it's something intrinsic to the music mm -hmm. that does that. I think it's conditioning. I really feel like it's... As a listener to music, we are just taught that the vocalist is the focal point. Yes. Right? Like, I don't think it has anything to do with the way the music is because there are times on the record when she is as much an instrumentalist Indeed. as everybody else. Yeah. Um, and she does that really well. So yeah. it, it, she completely fits in the context of the thing. And yet at the same time, somebody's got a microphone. You yeah. listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Know, that's... Yeah. And actually this was also um, um, light issue in terms of mixing because I mixed the album with a great sound engineer from Italy. And, but he, had a, he has a very strong aesthetic. Um, mm -hmm. And so the first mix we made was the voice was super loud. It was very <laughs> present. It was very central, almost as in a pop recording, yeah. uh, which makes sense, of course, on the, you know, on a on a regular base, let's say, but I had to try and work with him to, um, to, to, to make the voice a bit more into the ensemble in some points. And still, I'm not entirely satisfied, to be honest with you. I only could work until a certain point with him mm -hmm. because when you have these very strong uh, opinions from the sound engineer, there is not much you can do. Like, I don't know if you had that experience. It's a bit frustrating. It can be frustrating because, you know, he's great and he did an amazing job. At the same time, it was a bit difficult to actually go with him in my direction sometimes. Yeah, and it's, it, that has become a very integral part of the process now. It feels to me like the process is like composing, performing slash recording, and then producing slash mixing. Like yeah. To me, those stages are equally valuable now and equally part of the artistic process, which maybe was not so much the case previously. Like If you yeah. go back to the old records, it was literally... Well, whatever's on the tape is what's on the tape, Indeed. and we produced it to a certain degree, but we produced it by the way we played rather than after the event. Yeah. Um, so, it, indeed, it's interesting to to confront that that nowadays a sound engineer has to also be a producer and has to also think um, as part of the artistic process. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Can you speak a bit to that? Because like there is a certain amount of production involved on the record. Um, Besides simply like the mixing stuff, like there's there's some electronics at times that are used. There is some, um, yeah, some kind of studio tricks, so to yeah. speak. Uh, um, actually, that was also a part of the. I think I've been very lucky with this album in a way because it turned out much better than uh, it could have been in a way. Like <laughs> it's incredible. No, seriously, I I don't know. Like some of these tracks, literally. Um, things weren't prepared in terms of sound. Like I just trusted everyone. I thought because Attila, for example, the drummer, 
he also uses some electronics um, yeah. connected to his uh, drum set. But I have no, I didn't have a very clear idea of the sounds he was gonna. Actually, I think he also doesn't have a clear idea because sometimes he just opens up the sounds and let it go and. Um, yeah, there's an improvised nature to the sound yeah. design as well. Yeah, and uh, same goes with Laura. She's also um, she was using some effects, not man, not much, but something. Uh, and I also uh, was connected to a chain of effects. And the reason, but so the way it worked technically is uh, we all had separate channels. So we had the clean channel and the wet one, let's yeah. say, mm, so that we made sure. In the worst case scenario, we only use the clean one. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario could have been that something goes completely wrong in terms of sounds. Yeah. And I could, so the only thing that happened in, in the mixing uh, moment was to choose in one or two songs whether I wanted to feature the um, dirty sounds, like the affected sounds, or I only wanted to, specifically okay. only the last track actually uh, yeah. is like that. That one was just, magic really because we did one take of that and it's a very basic composition based on a circle like one of these graphic scores that I've been uh, working after I had lessons with Armin Franje yeah Harman likes those yeah. circle songs yeah and and yeah it was it's just a very simple thing uh, that it's a chart to improvise mm -hmm. um, yeah I remember clearly starting playing to record and we went far like super far out and then we stopped and I remember I was tweaking on the floor with some effects and then I came up I looked around and I thought wow this was uh, I guess it was a good take and, then, <laughs> and that's it and yeah. and then I listened back to it and I was I was really shocked because it sounds uh, very coherent and I can tell you that we didn't really practice that yeah. so much only me and Laura we worked it out a bit but not in terms of sounds and so that part was also left a lot to the moment. And, mm. and in, from my point, I of course, I, I had some effects in front of me. I, I was already working on some sounds, and but I was also not completely in control of everything, I have to say. Um, I practiced a bit with it, but so I trusted the other people and myself to try and create something with that as well. I wanted the thing is that I wanted to feature some of some electronics. I wanted to have some sounds in it. I didn't want it to be completely uh, acoustic. Yeah. So, but yeah, I couldn't control it. So mm. I thought, yeah, guys, just do something and see what happens. And <laughs> and it was nice. And but I so think, I take it that this was all done live. Like, there's no, is there, an, is there any post production work that you no, did? No, as I said, only in the last one we decided with the sound engineer that we were going to start with the affected signal. Mm -hmm. So it comes from this cloud of very strong. Uh, electronic sounds and then we went into a stronger acoustic sound and yeah. then we went off again into the cloud of electronics okay um, for the rest um, you just hear what you guys played there was no indeed okay yeah yeah it's interesting yeah. I, I mean I, I have yes. I've spoken to a lot of people who feature electronics on their records nowadays because that's just kind of part of what we yeah. do and it's more and more a feature of the improv scene but it's very common that that is something that happens after the session, right? So, like, mm, the, yeah. um, especially, yes. you know, obviously in the pop world, that's all the time. But, yes. like, the idea that you then have that extra step of, and now we add the electronics. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, I find, I don't see anything wrong with the, the that. I mean, 
our latest record with Tin Man is is almost exclusively that kind of stuff. It's okay. a very produced thing. But at the same time, it does go against some of the things that you have described as being essential to the concept, which yes. is like we got together in the moment and we didn't even rehearse much and then no. we collectively made a thing. And if you then took that thing and went to a studio with some other guy and did a thing, maybe that would lose some of the magic? I don't know. I think so. I, I think if you have... It depends, actually. Uh, for example, uh, just to mention Attila, again, the drummer, mm. he I play also in his trio. Um, we released what was at the beginning of this year, his um, album for the trio, and he worked it out with the guitarist of the band. <laughs> they actually worked out the... And it's almost all improvised, that album, really, but they worked the electronics uh, afterwards a lot. So they really worked with the, with the tracks. Um, I don't find it very weird when I listen back to it, honestly. <laughs> it doesn't sound like, but they, they worked a lot on it. Like they had a long work. Yeah. In my case, I think, um, yeah, first of all, I didn't have a person to work with because that's what I wanted to say. I forgot, like Attila could sit down with the guitarist for like uh, two or three months working on it, you know, yeah. like in several sessions. And then, of course, it develops in a more natural way. But if you only have two days of mixing mm, yeah, and no. you don't really know the other guy, then it's, unless you have super strong ideas, like on this track, I want a distortion on the vocals from yeah. a minute to that and minute to that. And, yeah. and then, of course, you can do it. Otherwise, you don't have really time to apply and to pro produce the album properly. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I'm I'm happy about it. Also, I'm happy that it came with the with the live performance. Really, it's um, and it's still surprising for me. I have to say sometimes. <laughs> it, yeah, from my standpoint, I of course I had thought a bit more about the music and how I was going to what sounds I was going to use where, um, on some specific uh, bass lines on some parts. I, I thought about it uh, ahead. But on other moments are just completely random, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, can we can we talk a bit about the the so vocal music comes along with an obvious component, which is lyrics. Um, mm -hmm. And well, not necessarily, I suppose. Like especially when you work with someone like Laura. Laura doesn't need any words; she will make something <laughs> yeah. happen anyway. But in your case, there are words. Mm -hmm. um, how? Well, first of all, where do the words come from? Is it are you writing lyrics? Are you like finding text somewhere else? Is Laura like doing some of the stuff? I, yeah. I I'm not sure how that worked. Uh, this is a sensitive spot actually because um, no, I wrote all the lyrics besides one song where uh, I wrote a part. Like I, I wrote the story more or less of the mm -hmm. song, and then uh, a person I really, well, a person I love wrote the rest of the. Of the so actually put together the lyrics and that's probably the one where the lyrics are a bit more uh, interesting in a way. Anyway, I wrote them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Of course, there are two songs that are not mine, so in that case, I didn't write them. Um, yeah. And I, it's it's a sensitive spot because I'm always scared of writing. Um, that's. It's even more than with music, actually. With words, I'm really afraid that it's going to be super boring and super not interesting. <laughs> and in some cases, I do think that it's like this in this album. I didn't judge it. I chose to keep it as it is. There is one song specifically where I used both Italian and English uh, in the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And I think the lyrics are quite 
simple, as a matter of fact, like not really um, that interesting. But that's the that's how it came, and it came after a dream. I woke up from a dream early morning, and I had the lyrics in my head. It sounds <laughs> super poetic, but that's the way it is actually. And then I wrote them down, and I yeah. thought, okay, I guess I'll use them. Um, um, and that's what I did. So I, I'm very interested, actually. I really want to improve that. I'm very, uh, yeah, it's something I would like to, I really believe into the written, um, well, into the spoken words, let's say. I yeah. think it's a very powerful tool. Um, but I don't think I'm, well, I think there is a lot of uh, something missing in my uh, preparation for that, in a way. Like, yeah. I will still allow myself to write something and then go on with it, mm -hmm. but I have a strong critic, like system of critics. On but that, I mean, that makes say. sense, right? Because you've you studied. What did you say? You said you studied seven years of classical music and then you studied six years of jazz. Yeah. You've been studying intensely, studying the act of music making for decades now, yeah. and then the act of lyric writing is something wow. that's completely separate from that oh, process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's not something that we're necessarily very used to doing. So it's, I mean, it, it's, um, I think for the purposes of the album, it completely works what you've done. Okay. That's... Um, and it's, maybe that's a weird statement to make, but I feel like often with these kinds of things, it's, it's maybe easier to, your first output on this stuff is maybe the easiest thing to do. Yes. And if you decide to make another album and another album and another album and you're going to continue writing songs, then suddenly you have to kind of dig deeper into the process and like I all, so. of the, yeah. all of the first impression things that you can kind of get away with in the beginning don't work anymore, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah it, I agree. I'm, I'm curious to see what, uh, yeah, what that ends up uh -huh. being, I suppose. <laughs> what, um, maybe this is a strange question, but... Uh, I feel like aesthetically speaking, the album is super diverse. Mm -hmm. Like it really jumps around, and it, it works. Like, don't get me wrong, there is like a, 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 a somewhat of a like coherent bow to it. But at the same time, like there is there is, it it skips and jumps like yeah, in terms of aesthetics. Like, was that is that part of? An, uh, a concept that you had going in? Is it just the way it happened? Was it like, I suppose part of my question is how did you select the repertoire? Like mm -hmm. what was the process yeah. of saying, these are the songs, like what is it, 10 songs that I'm yeah. going to put on the album? And, or was it like, okay, I'm going to select this, I want to play this, I want to play that, and I want to play this, and yeah. then let's see how it goes. Like how... Um, I have to say I uh, I didn't have an, a huge repertoire to choose uh, of, my, of my own compositions. I think I only left out, well, one that we recorded. It was also an electric bass and vocal duo. We left it out for some reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and then I only had, I think, a couple of more, a couple of charts more I could have recorded and I chose not to. So, yeah, that was a bit easier. And then, it, but I had a bunch of uh, songs from other people that I really wanted to record, honestly. And I arranged and I thought of before. Um, the choice went with like I, I chose with the uh, emotional connection I had with the songs usually, mm -hmm. and what they, the the meaning they they have for me. 
But in terms of the way they came out, as I said before, it was totally unpredictable. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, some of these songs I had in my mind completely different. Like in my head, there there are parts where I even wrote the drums part, for example, because since we were not going to rehearse, I thought maybe I give him an idea of the group I'm thinking of. Of course, he didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great. I'm, I'm very happy about it. And actually, when I presented the song, I always say... So this is what I wrote. Do with it whatever you want. If you yeah. wanna, it's great if you check it maybe because then you know more or less the idea I had. But if you want to change it completely, I'm up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, the um, the outcome of the of the compositions was completely unexpected. Like I and and I think that's part of why it's so diverse, as you said. It's um, because I didn't push the music anywhere, really. I didn't really ask them anything, ask the musicians so much. I, I was just thought, let's get together and try to record this music and see what happens. Um, I'd like to to do another album in the future where I'm actually more in control of what's happening in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's, if it's going to happen or not, to be honest. I don't know, but it would be nice to have a thing that is a bit more thought um, before and a bit more prepared and I wouldn't mind that as well as an experience Um, and I think in that case you get a bit more of a coherent uh, outcome from the music no sure but I mean that's also it's an incredible act of trust to Mm -hmm. be willing to not rehearse and go to somebody and say, this is the part I wrote for you, but also just do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I suppose maybe as, as improvisers, we're kind of more used to that, but I yeah. think to a not to a, a lay person, that must sound very strange. Yeah, I did want to rehearse, I have to say. I, I, I really, We had one rehearsal the day before going into the studio, the night before, Attila just arrived. <laughs> I would have liked to rehearse more, honestly. Uh, even just for me to see, like, is the music good or not? Or yeah. am I just, this is all... Anyway, uh, but it is, I do believe in that act of trust, as a matter of fact. That's a thing, like, I'd, I'd like to keep uh, having always. Yeah. And that's part of me involving the musicians I... So some specific musicians that I know I can trust fully. Mm-hmm. Um I wouldn't do it with everyone, I have to say. It's not like random choice. No, of course. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to sound too open or too... It's, it, <laughs> it is very much connected to the musician I'm playing with. But then once I'm playing with someone, I think then you have to trust. But that works in every band I play, actually. Mm-hmm. In every style, every type of music, I always think that it's very important that I trust the person I'm playing with. Otherwise, I'm not going to be happy when I perform with that person. Yeah. So it, it is a human bond more than, um, yeah, also an artistic one, of course, but, uh, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's, yeah. A, it's, yeah. Um, can we, uh, like, b- before, like, there's there's a couple of other things I, I do want to talk about, but uh, finally, like, what what have the live performance opportunities been for this band? Like, are you doing some kind of, like, release shows and stuff? And, because you're, you're dealing with very busy people that are yeah. not based in the same city and... Yeah. <clears throat> like, and maybe it's even like particularly difficult to recreate whatever it is that happened. Um, oh I yeah, oh yeah. So this is the actual. Uh, this is the part where I'm still trying to crack the code in a way. I'm not sure exactly what I'm gonna do with this music. I'm so far. My goal was to uh, bring it out and just that was the idea. Since the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm just gonna put it out and then that's it. 
uh, of course, it brings a bit of a weight with it. Like you want to perform it afterwards or you... I'm not sure if I want to. I, I guess it's part of the game. I think I... When I chose I was going to expose myself uh, with an album, I think it goes on with now I have to find gigs and I have to make sure I'm up out there talking about the music with an audience, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm moving my baby steps now with that. And it's definitely difficult. I think uh, the idea I have right now, and I hope I'll make it work, I'm not sure, uh, would be to have a... Um, how would you call it, like a fluid ensemble, an ensemble where it doesn't matter if it's, well, ideally it would be great if it, I could do it only on my own, but I think I'll need Laura always, that's uh, yeah. connected to her. But anyway, it would be great to have an ensemble where it could be two people or 10 people playing the music. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing I'm trying to think, and I'm not sure I'll be able to keep playing with these guys. Um, if I play in, in Italy, which is what I'm trying to do now to find some release concerts there and some mm -hmm. opportunities, it, it would be very diff difficult for me to, to arrange it with them. Uh, first of all, because they are busy, like already I'm, I was trying to organize the release concert at the end of November, and so Xavi will be... Uh, going to the US for the Monk competition. Yeah, uh, that's a thing. Uh, yeah, Xavi has been nominated for the, the Monk competition. I yeah. remember when he did the interview for this show, he knew, but we couldn't say anything about it. I'm very excited to be able to say, Xavi is nominated for the Monk competition, everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> finally, we can talk about so, that. So, you know, this is a big thing. And yeah. Attila is in Italy playing with another uh, Italian artist. And Laura is in Africa until half of November. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's tricky. And then, uh, of course, it's, it makes it more difficult, for sure. Uh, it is already difficult, as we all know, as musicians to find gigs is super mm -hmm. difficult. So, yeah, the idea is now to try and be as flexible as possible with it. Um, and I don't have a, I don't have a plan so far. I mean, the idea will be to find something here in Holland as well to release the album, to play mm -hmm. a bit around. But right now, I'm quite unsure about my personal life as well. So it's very difficult to put it together with the musical. So I have to figure out some things on my own and. Um, the idea is that though, to, to perform in Italy if it's yeah. possible, and here in Holland if it's possible, and to perform with different musicians. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting for me. And yeah. I don't know how the music will sound. That's also a part of the thing because it happened in the studio. I played it, uh, I played some of these songs with other people every now and then and it sounded super different, very yeah. different. Sure. That's a challenge, right? It's both a, an exciting thing and at the same time it becomes something that's very difficult to sell and that's a boring oh, yeah, thing man. to think about. But like, if you, you, it's, you can't really go to a booker of a venue and say, this is my album, but probably it's not going to sound like this when we come and play yeah. on your stage. Yeah. And probably it won't be the same people. And if you like, we can come with two of us or 10 of us. Yeah, no, but no, it I depends would never what you can afford. No, obviously, you wouldn't <laughs> say that. But like, that is an issue that yeah. I think is something people don't necessarily think about much, which is like what you're making as a record is partly this is a product that I'm then going to sell to venues and, mm -hmm. and it's it's a terrible have to thing to have to consider but live performance does end up being the main source of income for us of so um so yeah that's a, that's an interesting like dilemma that you have which is you want to be super flexible and open yeah. and do whatever but like maybe you need to be somebody like Michael who's already so established that they'll be like sure Michael come with whoever you want and do whatever you like yes we'll be excited yes either way um, 
it's challenging. I do like the idea of the the modular kind of ensemble with different yeah. people. Like the specific, there's the there's one track on the record where it is just you and Lara, and yeah. and it's really gorgeous. I mean, it, it's one of the prettiest things I've heard that's, uh, in, a, in a while. That, that's not my my song. I have to like the, no, the but I mean, it doesn't, it's a beautiful it, it, Italian song. <laughs> of course, but the performance of it is is uh, is really beautiful. So Thanks. I, I did. Uh, I don't know if that's what we're going to feature, um, but uh, but if we do, if we don't, I would recommend people go check that out. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's one last thing before we get before we we round this off, and this is a completely different topic, but right. it is something that I think does somehow connect in a tangential way, um, which is when you graduated from your masters, you wrote a thesis about Charlie Hayden. Yes, um, and I. I think Charlie Hayden might be my favorite bass player of all time. Like he's really a, a, a fascinating figure and an exciting like musical presence to me. And I think his uh, his music speaks to something that you mentioned about the idea of the collective and the idea of not wanting to feature yourself as an instrumentalist, but feature yourself as a musician and as, as a voice yeah. in that sense. Um, and I have to say. Uh, when I first heard that you were writing a thesis about Charlie Hayden, I was kind of surprised. Yeah, because you didn't seem to me like the kind of like that kind of bass player. Yes, yes. Uh, because you are incredibly virtuosic. Because you are classically trained. You've got yeah. all this thing. Like the the joke with Charlie Hayden is always like this guy never goes above the G because he <laughs> doesn't understand what thumb position is, um, which is slightly funny and slightly true I don't know and to be clear he is my hero so I, I'm not gonna I, I rarely go above the G anyway so what am I who am I to say anything but can you speak a bit about Charlie Hayden like yeah. what is it about his music that was so appealing to you and that you you thought I'm gonna actually do research on this guy um, I guess it's exactly what you said um, so because I was naturally going in, I do naturally go in this playing a lot direction, in this mm -hmm. direction of playing a lot of notes. I was trying to re-educate myself. Well, first of all, Charlie Hayden was and is one of my heroes as well. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea was to go and look into his playing because, I mean, when you do a master and you have to do a research, you have to spend a lot of time with some music that's yeah. going to happen. And I thought it would have been great for me to spend a lot of time with his, with his tone, his sound, his musicality, because he was going to teach me more in this way. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was actually a very deep experience for me. Um, he... This research, I mean, when you do these researches, I don't even know how much sense that that paper I wrote has, to be honest. But the research I personally did, like the the growth I had while listening to him and the concepts that stayed with me are very strong still now. And uh, the, the idea behind the thesis I wrote was that... Um, what I called structured freedom. That's a way I, a way I thought of calling what I felt of his music and mm -hmm. his musicality, which is he is always going to find a way of being super free in his playing, although there is a structure. And on the other hand, when there is freedom, he was a very structured player, like in the uh, albums of Ernest Coleman, for example. I think of his bass playing as a very uh, uh, framed, like very structured, actually. Like yeah. you, you feel like as there is a form and very often there is no form. Yeah, so, he becomes the grounding element indeed. somehow. It's interesting because I feel like there's a parallel there to Coltrane's quartet and Jimmy Garrison. Like it's a similar figure. Yeah. In the sense of like all these people are playing crazy wild stuff 
And maybe what the bass player is playing is also crazy and wild, but it's also like so anchoring somehow. Yes, yes. Um, it, yeah, I think I think that was the reason why I was attracted. Well, I really wanted to get more and more into this uh, artist. Um, and it's funny because it's it doesn't stop. Actually, I'm I keep thinking about this guy about Charlie Hayden a lot, mm-hmm. and I keep listening to him a lot. And I keep thinking that there is a lot in his playing that I still, well, of course, that, that I still didn't really get in the, in the way he interpreted tempo, for example, the time, the time yeah. of his playing is crazy. It's just when I was transcribing it for the thesis, it was so difficult sometimes to. I felt almost I was. Um, Doing some blasphemy when I was trying to put it into a you try rhythm, to notate you know, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was very difficult. And so one of my ideas is actually to keep researching in his music. And uh, I've, I've listened to some of his interviews in terms of the spirituality of the um, improvisation, how much of a spiritual part there is behind the improvisation in music and yeah. outside of music. And I think he had a very strong. Um, set of ideas around it like uh, I think it, it's really worth to dig yeah. into and to even just for me to keep thinking about and so no and also a political element right like indeed, it's, it's something that I feel has been lost I mean we talk about it a lot whenever <laughs> we we give interviews with Tim in because our our latest record and our show is is overtly political and I feel like that's something that's been lost um, yes. from a lot of jazz and improvised music like now we sort of turned inside and uh, somewhat self-referential about music and we try to serve as a form of escapism maybe from the yes. terrible politics that surround us it is my case for um, sure yeah and and someone like charlie hayden especially in his later years was overtly political and was fighting for that you know um yeah it's interesting it is i agree with you this is a actually a great point um yeah, it's in, just want to say in my case, it's I feel a bit of a weight in this sense. I feel like we are we should speak out more. Uh, that's what I believe. And although I mean, as a jazz musician, I'm not sure I have much of a audience that will listen to me. But that doesn't change it. Like I think whatever I do, if I go in front of people doing something, I should say things. Yeah. I should, you know, I should be saying something are not uh, the way they should be, mm-hmm. and somehow I feel a block right now about it. Yeah. That's also part of the personal growth, as I was mentioning before. But I agree with you, and Charlie Eden is a great teacher for that. Like, yeah, for sure. Uh, we should all learn from that. I think. Yeah. There is always also a double side to it, though, like the way you use actually politics to get a bit of a. Uh, an, a, a how do you say that? Like uh, a persona, like you get as a personality who's, you know, is surrounded with this aura of being sure. politically involved and so it on. It becomes part of a story as well. Indeed. That, that is anyway. Know, yeah, I, I, my, I think my the issue that I encounter, or let me put it this way: the the quibbles that I have with being overtly political in jazz is that you are basically going to be preaching to the choir. Like in most cases, like it's very unusual that I'm going to play a show and there's going to be a Trump supporter there. Like, yeah. and and maybe oh, that yeah. happens, but I feel like 
making fun of like some of the terrible political things like it you're not necessarily reaching the people that you need to be reaching because already the people that are listening to this music maybe that's a wrong assumption that i'm making but i feel like jazz comes along with a certain like group of political opinions and so that that is kind of where i that's where i see an issue at this point but i still think it's kind of an important thing um (laughs) Finally, I mean, um, before I end with my last question, I do want to ask you if there's any, because obviously you are a very busy sideman. Is there any work that you're up to as a sideman that you want to mention in passing? I mean, like I said, there's been, um, well, Vuma's been on the show before, uh, Christian Pabst you play with, uh, Bernard van Horsum's band. uh, There's a bunch of things like, uh, is there stuff we can look forward to? Anything you want to mention? Um, there is a thing I am looking forward to, which is uh, in January I'll be reuniting again with the trio of Attila. We play very oh, rarely yeah. because that's also uh, fully improvised music. It's not very easy to bring it around. Mm-hmm. So in January we'll be in Budapest again and we'll thinking about uh, making a short tour with that. Cool. Um, and yeah, with Vuma we just recorded um the third album i wish and i really hope we'll manage to be together also for the release concerts of it it's gonna take a while though yeah of course that was this Um, week right yeah exactly it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna take a while um and then there is another band i will come here in holland to play with in november so that's maybe after anyway yeah um, yeah um so with that band also, which is called Aquaphonica, we'll record an album soon at the beginning of next year. And we are trying to bring it also in Holland. Let's yeah. see if it's going to happen. Yeah, that's more or, less it, more or less it for now, I think. Cool, yeah. yeah. And obviously there will be links to um, all of your stuff on the website for, for Sound of the Moment so people can go and find out whatever yeah. you're even if they're listening to this in uh, years from now they can figure out what you're up to because I'm yeah. sure they'll be up to interesting Hopefully. stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah let's let's end with my traditional question which is uh, have you got something you would like to recommend for the audience yeah I was prepared and I, and yeah, so you've, you've listened to the show you yeah, actually yeah. know this but actually it's, it's a recommendation I'm giving to many friends now in this last period I've read the book I think in May, mm-hmm. which is called uh, oh shit uh, yeah it's called wherever you go there you are it's a ah, yeah, rather of course new agey book in a way although it's not the worst new age in terms of wherever new you age. go where is that Richard Rohr no, no. it's uh, John Kabat Zinn is called okay. the author yeah it's um it's a book about mindful meditation yeah that's, yeah, yeah. that's what it is um. If you manage to go, uh, in case, like in my my case, I have a bit of an issue with new age things, although I love them, <laughs> or I used to love them, but uh, I have a, uh, some difficulties. But in this case, with this book, I think there is a lot of value uh, in it in yeah. terms of um, being in the moment and uh, practice your uh, routine of sitting down and being silent for a while. I think that book helped me a lot in a difficult moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a recommendation, actually, I would give to people. It's it's a great book. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, ah, I like it. I mean, <laughs> I, I I I have to say I completely agree with you. I uh, I have trouble with the aesthetics and certain aspects of new ageiness, but yeah. the the bottom line message and frankly the act of meditation and and mindfulness is something that I find really important yes. and, and helpful, and especially in the context of like. 
artists and also in the context of uh, like improvisation, I find it's quite a valuable tool. Yeah. Like I've had, I think two of my guests have recommended, um, what's it called? The, the improv book, um, uh, Effortless Mastery. Oh yeah, yeah. of course. So, and of that, course. that has a bit of that in it to me. Like there's an, there's an sure. aspect to, to that, that book that is slightly new agey, but at the same time it nails what it is about mindfulness that is important as an improviser. Yeah. And, uh, there are a couple of other books actually that are into One is called The Talent Code. It's mm-hmm. just, well, it's a research of a dude about how, uh, how the brain learns, of the learning process basically. Okay. Um, that was also very interesting, but not the same, not the, the same as, it doesn't really have techniques, it's more of a research. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Shavi, we spoke about the Inner Game series. Yeah, like the Inner Game of Tennis. The other. Yeah, I read um, the Inner Game of Music, which is the same, but yeah, same author. Yeah, yeah also very interesting, actually. Yeah. That's that's a bit more to the point. And I remember it gave me some techniques that I still use today, very mm-hmm. very basic and very, I think, helpful. Yeah. Um, that one is more connected to music. The Inner Game of Music is yeah. interesting. Sure. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, Marco, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, Pat, thank you, really. It was really nice, I have to say. Great. Cool. There will be links to Marco's website at soundofthemoment.com, so if you'd like more information or if you want to purchase his music, follow those. Many thanks to my fellow members of Catero for providing the intro and outro music. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts. Leave a favorable review or star rating in iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. That really helps a lot with finding new listeners and getting the algorithms to uh, actually show people that this show exists. And tell a friend if you know anybody who would like to listen to this kind of content. Go to patreon.com slash sound of the moment if you'd like to make a donation to help me keep the show up and running. Even the smallest amount is really helpful and many thanks to those of you who already do that. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, on Facebook via the Sound of the Moment page or by email at pat at soundofthemoment.com. Let's end this week with more music from Marco Zanini. The following piece is called Five Letters for Sophie. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.